to another episode of Block Talk presented by Theater in the Now. I'm your host as always, Michael Block. What you're about to listen to is a special Pride edition of the podcast. I hope you enjoy this very different yet very important episode of the show. And as always, follow us on Instagram at MichaelBlockTalk, Twitter, and visit theaterinthenow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. It was early morning in New York City. Just hours before, many were mourning the loss of beloved Hollywood icon Judy Garland at her funeral uptown. But downtown, in Greenwich Village, the New York City Police Department raided a gay club known as the Stonewall Inn. This raid led to a clash between police and patrons and neighbors alike. Six days of protests and violence ensued. It was known as the Stonewall Riots. It was the catalyst for the gay rights movement in America. The year is 2019. Here in New York City, we will not only be celebrating World Pride, but the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. A lot has changed in 50 years, but there is still a fight for universal rights and acceptance for the entire LGBTQ community. What hasn't changed is our sense of pride. But what is pride? Pride means acceptance and being able to be out and proud and and surrounded by people who understand and support and love you. To me, pride means being proud of who you are. And it really is about embodying who you are gender-wise and sexuality-wise and not caring about what the rest of the world thinks. And the feeling of being able to be proud of who you are and share that with other people around you. That's why it's such a community-based feeling. Pride was a place that I could realize that you can be free and you can be whoever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do and you don't have to necessarily feel any shame or guilt. Pride means celebrating who you are and remembering your history as a queer person. Pride to me means trying to be your most authentic, courageous self every day. Um, powering through the tough times to be able to lift others up so you can also lift yourself up. Pride means feeling acceptance. Pride means um, walking down the street, being able to be who you are. Pride to me means being able to come out and celebrate yourself and have people around you and the world celebrate you. Pride to me, I think, is the opposite of shame. Shame of being gay, shame of being different. And I think pride is using, especially for gay people that, I mean, I don't even know what, pride might look completely different in 10 years, but for me, I feel like it still carries that feeling of we spent, a large portion of our life, especially a part of our life that like other people were exploring who they were and their sexuality, where we had to be very fearful or very 
<clears throat> shameful of who we are and we couldn't express ourselves as openly as our straight peers. And so I think for me, pride is taking the month and using that as momentum for the rest of the year, your whole life to finally be able to show that you are proud of who you are and be able to show um, all the different facets of what being a member of the LGBTQ community can be. So that's pride, but why now? Why is it important to be out and proud today, 50 years after the Stonewall riots? I think that it's very important to be out and proud 50 years after Stonewall because we can't let them down. Because those people created the life that we get to live. They laid down the bricks and threw them even so that we could be able to live whatever life that we choose, whatever job that we want, and be able to be loud, out, and proud about it. And we have to keep that legacy going because we just can't let them down. 50 years is half a century. It's like quite a journey. And we have come a long way in terms of activism. I think we've come along in 50 years than we had in like the centuries beforehand. And I think it's important to be out and to be proud to celebrate that progress. And at the same time, it's also important to be highlighting where we still need more work. I think it's important to be out and proud today, especially with it being 50 years after the Stonewall riots, because we are consistently fighting for rights and fighting to be who we are and to show the world that you're not afraid is what's the most important thing because otherwise everyone who is against you being who you are will think it's okay and think that they have power over you. I think it's important to be out and proud because others can look to you. I think, um, my generation, unfortunately, didn't have as many role models and leaders as the generation before us because we lost so many people to AIDS and HIV. And um, and I think now we are hitting such an important point in our timeline of LGBT history that we are given the opportunity to really be as out and proud as we want to be because of what people fought for 50 years ago. As someone who recently fostered a young queer person, I noticed that younger generations really don't have much of a connection to the community or much knowledge of their history since it's not taught in schools. So without being incredibly visible and very much vocal about being out, we lose that connection and the future young people don't get to know their community. I think 50 years doesn't even matter. We should be proud every single day. It teaches the history. Um, 50 years is an incredible feat, don't get me wrong, but it needs to just, there are people who still don't understand it and don't accept us because they're not educated. We need to teach and love and smile at people. That way they can know what we're doing, who we are, is we're just loving. And that shouldn't, there shouldn't be violence because of it. I think it's important to be out and proud because there are gonna be people that 
don't have it easy. I had it really easy. Like, all of my family was on board with it. People at school were pretty nice to me because I was funny. And I was in show choir, and that made me cool. But there are people, like the Trevor Project, for example, that kid Trevor, he was bullied relentlessly, and he killed himself because he had no one to talk to about it. So I think that it's important to be out there and living your best gay life in queer, like, representation all around so that people who don't have it easy can see that and realize, okay, maybe one day, once I get out of this horrible situation, I can be myself and I can really live a life that is good for me. That's a really difficult question. I think being visible, and I'm struggling with that now, um, is extremely important. So Caleb and I took on another partner, which we'd never done before. And then having that in the back of my mind is like, how will this present? How will people think about it? And then not giving a fuck and just trying to be visible, living my life, my truest life is extremely important. And I think that without the riots, we would have never have been able to be this comfortable being normal, normalized, I guess. To celebrate our history, I've asked friends and peers to share stories of pride, their experience coming out. What you're about to hear are personal journeys, stories of struggle, stories of acceptance, stories of hope, stories of forgiveness. No two stories are the same, but all of our stories share a common thread, a need to be honest and proud, proud of who we are. Hey, this is Harryola, and this is my coming out story. New York City's dangerously hairy drag queen, Harryola Grande, thrives on comedy and sarcasm. Based on Astoria, this queen's queen always makes her audience laugh with a silly lip sync or a poignant comedy mix. Um, so coming out stories, I feel like they happen all the time, really, but there are certain ones that stick out in our mind, obviously, with our parents and loved ones. Um, so I came from a family on Long Island and my mom's brother is gay. So it was always something that was like kind of there, but didn't really understand. And I believe I was 15, no, 15. Yes. With my mother, but I had already been out to a couple of friends and my older brother who I guess was the first family member. And I messaged him on AIM me from the upstairs room, him in the downstairs room, and said, hey, I want to talk. Can I come by? And we went downstairs and, you know, long pauses, crying, trying to speak, then not, and just, I told him I was bi. And I think I was, like, 14. Like, new 14. And then cut to, like, a year, maybe two years later. No, maybe a year later, my mom was driving me um, to my job. And so I guess I wasn't driving yet. So I had to either been like 14 or 15 and I had, um, braided, like growing up, I would always like braid bracelets or like Chinese staircase with like very thin, almost floss fabric. And, um, I made a Chinese staircase of like just a rainbow that I was wearing as an anklet. And my feet were up on the dashboard as my mom's driving me to work. And she was just like, oh, like, that's interesting. Did you make that yourself? And I was like, yes. And she's like, it's a rainbow. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, like, 
is that, do you know what that's for and what that symbolizes? And I'm like, yeah. Um, and she's like, oh, so are you? And I was like, yeah. And she was just, okay, does anyone know? Like, are you okay? And I was like, oh, you know, like some friends are aware and, you know, Andrew, my brother knows. And then she dropped me off for work. And it was, like, time to go. And it wasn't, like, I could sit in the car and, like, you know, have a hash out, like, cry, like, have an emotional moment because I had to work. And I freaked out for, I think it was, I mean, I was 15, so it couldn't have been more than, like, a five and a half, six-hour shift or uh, something. I worked at a kid's party place where you would paint plaster and then you would, I would host in the back room, which sounds very weird, um, like, DJing and... It was very big, like, Finding Nemo, like, High School Musical time, and, like, would dance and, like, entertain the kids, which I'm realizing now is, like, probably how I became a drag queen, like, was on the mic and would, like, get them to freeze dance and all that stuff. Um, so I was there with my friend Carly and was literally freaking out, like, panicking, kind of, because it seemed that it was left okay, but, like, one never really knows, and one never really, like can tell unless it's affirmed, affirmed. Um, and then I got back into the car when my mom picked me up. And it basically was like less, it was just like the more serious layer of just like, because my uncle is gay and like she is, was very accepting of it, is very accepting of it. Like, um, but was more so like, got to like are you using protection and you know that there are diseases and I just need to make sure that you're being safe and it was like kind of scary in that moment because it was one of those things where it took so long just to like say the words and like get out which I still at this point like hadn't told her um and so that was like a little nerve-wracking and then I asked her to tell my dad so I don't know how that conversation goes, like, if she actually had it. We were drunk at a Mets game, like, a year and a half ago, and I tried to ask her, and I told her, because it's really only how we remember it, right? So she said that that's not how it happened at all, but that's how I distinctly remember it. And so obviously my dad does know that I'm gay. Um, we have yet to talk about it, like, firmly, which is funny because with my boss at work, we went out to lunch yesterday, just the two of us. And he's like, what do you mean your dad doesn't know? And it was like, do you feel like that's something that you need to have with him? And I was like, yeah, I think it's, I've been, it's, I mean, like I said earlier, they're like different of the coming outs. And it's not because I don't think he's accepting. It's not because I don't think that he has a problem with it. But it's just like doing it again. And maybe he would, you know? not be comfortable with it. Um, we also don't just, like, have the best relationship. Like, we just, we have a fine relationship, but we don't, like, have a lot of interest. So it's like, we're going to talk about this? I don't know. Um, and then I came out to my little brother once because I had to drive him to college, uh, to high school. So I was a senior, he was a freshman. I was like, listen, you're going to be in the high school. Like, I'm gay. And he's like, really? Like, yes, I know. So that was um, 
that was an easy one, and he was a dick then, and he's still a dick now. Um, let me write. And, uh, we, yeah, I don't know. I was, I actually still have that bracelet. I kept it. I was like a memento. And, uh, I've been out for almost, like, I guess 15 years now. So, that's what we got. Hi, my name is Pussy Willow, and I'm going to tell you how I came out. Why sissy that walk when you can willow that puss? Pussy Willow is a non-binary pansexual creature queen living in Astoria. She enjoys discussing cannibalism, drinking Chianti, or asking you to kai-kai over grapefruit vodka cocktails. In her downtime, Puss Puss can be found turning her friends into sims or down a YouTube dark hole with her partner, Aria Durchi. Shout out to her mom, Grandmother Willow, for giving her the love to always be proud of who she is. So I thought I was straight for a very long time, and I I guess I always had attraction to women as well as men, but it was something that I definitely tried to hide and tried to not let anyone know because I thought my female friends would think it was weird and would, wouldn't want to have sleepovers with me or anything like that. So I just kind of, anytime I was attracted to girls, I pushed it away or, or I put up like pictures of my favorite actresses all over my room, like Helena Bonham Carter and Sandra Bullock, who looking back now, I definitely had crushes on full force, especially Helena Bonham Carter because everything she does is brilliant and she's amazing. Um, but sidetracked. <laughs> now I can't stop thinking about Helena Bonham Carter. But when I got to college was really, I guess that's kind of when a lot of people realize that they might have attractions to in their sex because you start to experiment or whatever. And I remember I was talking to one of my really good friends that I had made the first week ever moving there. And she was talking to me about sexuality and how she liked women. And at that time, she thought she was bisexual I think now she's fully a lesbian but she was talking about it to me and something like clicked in me when we were talking about it and I started having this freak out realization that I also liked girls and I remember I went to um, the Lincoln Center fountain and I sat on the fountain during my lunch break from school at AMDA and I sat there and there were all these kids running around and I just remember writing down in my journal because I would journal every tiny little thing that's why I have 17 journals in my apartment. And if my apartment ever catches on fire, that's what I'll save is all my journals. Because I assume at some point I'll have Alzheimer's and I'll have to figure out <laughs> my life in some way. <laughs> so I was writing down all my feelings out. And I, at the end of it, I came to the realization and I was like, yeah, I guess I guess I like girls too. And I, I waited... Um, I waited a really long time before I, I, I told a couple of my friends there when I had the first like inklings, I was like, oh, I think I have a crush on this one girl in my class who was very straight, but she would do this thing where she gave me a lot of attention and then would like take all the attention from me and then decide to push me away at a moment's notice and not talk to me for weeks and for no reason until she needed me again. And it was a very toxic, unrequited love. Um, and I want to say that was the first time I was in unrequited love, but it definitely, it definitely wasn't. But the first time with a girl, for sure. And it was not good. It was very toxic. And that was the first 
woman that I ever was in love with. Um, and I didn't tell, I was in love with her for at least a year. And I didn't tell my mom or anyone in my family that I liked girls until about a year into realizing it. And I went home for, I think it was Thanksgiving, and I talked to my mom about it. And I remember she <laughs> she kind of did that thing that I knew she was going to do where she was like, no, it's just a phase. You don't, you don't know what you want. It's just a phase. And I was like, no, I've known for over a year now. And she just didn't believe me. And it didn't help that I came out as bisexual that time. And then I think it was maybe two years later where I said, no, I'm a full-blown lesbian. And then maybe a couple years later, I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I might like both. Again, my mom was like, just pick one. Figure out which one it is. I think she still like sometimes says that when she's a little tipsy, she'll be like, just pick one. But... <laughs> realizing that I was pansexual was um, very recent. I want to say maybe two years ago. And I was just, I couldn't figure it out if I was bisexual. And then the biggest thing was drag because I knew I was attracted to men. I knew I was attracted to women, but I also knew that I was attracted to drag queens and trans people. And I was like, what does that mean? So then when I finally, like, heard the term pansexual, which is more about being just attracted to personalities more than anything else, I said, oh, yeah, that's for sure what it is. Because to me, it's always been, it's never mattered to me what gender I fall in love with because I know that I'm just going to fall in love with who I fall in love with. And now my mom kind of gets it to the point where she has decided she really wants to get me a necklace with like a pan on it <laughs> so stupid <laughs> but um <clears throat> it's it's been a it's been a hard thing for her to get to grasp then gender non-binary thing is a hard thing everyone else in my family has been like pretty easy at grasping it but my mom is just the heart and she's a very open-minded person but for me particularly for some reason she just can't wrap her head around these things and I think I, I think I did a really good job making it super confusing, also with drag. And um, so to this day, she still is like, well, does that mean? Because now that I'm dating a drag queen who is non-binary and pansexual or whatever, it's the same as me, it's, I think, just as difficult for her because she doesn't understand, oh, well, now you're with someone who technically has a penis that means you're straight. And it's like, no, that's not what it means. So um, I feel like I'm consistently coming out to my my mom and my family. <laughs> I feel like every year or two, I'm just coming out again with another thing. But I guess that's good because we're just continuously evolving as people. Hello, this is Aria Derchi, and guess what? You're about to hear my coming out story. Aria is a grumpy princess that lives in her imagination. When she isn't busy promoting her Venmo at Tip Aria, she can be found deep in her thoughts or eating bread and cheese. Well, I thought I was gay, always, but I also liked girls. And I remember in first grade, we were like having a bathroom break in our 
teacher was peeing in there with us and I looked at his penis and I thought, oh my gosh, like I got, I felt like something inside of me was stirred. And, um, then I always kind of had that thought and I was always kind of curious about it, but I dated a bunch of girls cause that seemed like the right thing to do. And then I always thought like, oh, I, I have to be with a woman in order to have like a family and blah, blah, blah. And one day I was questioning my sexuality, so I started messaging my cousin Corey on AOL Instant Messenger, AIM. And I was telling him, I said, I think I like boys, but I'm really scared about it. And he was like, oh, that's cool, cuz, like, we all got your back, we love you, blah, blah, blah. Because my uncle, he was gay as well. He died of AIDS in 91. And so, like, the whole family kind of got that. It was like a bombshell back then when he came out in, like, the 80s. They were they were fine with like my mom and her sisters were all really cool with it. My grandma was okay with it. My grandpa was real like didn't know how to take it, and so for a week he was really upset about my uncle coming out. And then um, he was just like, you know what, like you're my son, I love you, I don't care, and that was cool. I think he also went to Canada. Ty, my uncle, he went to Canada for like three years, and I think that really made them realize how much they loved and missed him. But anyway, I came out to my cousin Corey first, and we chatted about it. And then I came out to a bunch of my friends, and I went to this youth group called IYG, Indiana Youth Group, in Indianapolis, which is like a center for gay youth that are under 21. You can go there, and there are counselors. It's a really cool space. I had a really cool like coming out experience, in a sense, because I had that place where I could talk to all these people that knew what I was going through, if I was feeling certain ways, if people were bullying me or whatever. And then after my 17th birthday, I came out to my mom and I was like really nervous about it because I didn't know. I mean, I knew everyone knew that I was gay because I was, I'm very flamboyant and very like eccentric and colorful is what I would prefer. I'm very colorful, Michael. But uh, I came out to her. I like went into her bedroom. I was really nervous. And I started talking to her and she's like, yeah, well, you know, grandma and I have thought that since we were three because, you know, I always wanted Barbies and I was always playing dress up and I loved pink and I loved like not the singer, just the color. And I would always put on Spice Girl dances in our backyard with my mom's daycare kids. And I was like, okay, you're Posh Spice to Shalina because she was like 300 pounds. She's 14. It was in Posh just points and like sways back and forth. So we're like, Shalina, you can be Posh. And my sister was always Sporty Spice because she was in gymnastics. Uh, so I came out to her and she was like, that's cool. Like, I love you. I think you're great. Like, you're amazing. Blah, blah, blah. My mom's my biggest supporter and my best friend. And... Um, that was cool, but I waited a whole year to come out to my dad, and then it was really interesting. So we were at his house like every other weekend, and he had this. He got married to this woman, Melissa, and she was really cool until they got married, and then she started hiding from us. So we would start going to his house, and she would be hiding in the bedroom, and she wouldn't come out. And I I remember like going downstairs to use the restroom, and I'd like run into her like sneaking food in the kitchen, like a little like house elf or something, and then she would like kind of be like oh hi and like scurry away. And one night my sister and I were upstairs, it was summertime, it was after I graduated high school. And we were talking about this movie. It has Kristen Bell in it, and it's, I think it's Pulse or Phone Call or something, and there's like some Xerox machine in it, I don't know. But she watched that with her friends and she got really scared and she was having nightmares and she couldn't fall asleep. And so she and I were just chatting about it and we were talking about this other movie, the Texas, or like Cheerleader Massacres or something like that. And um, it was basically just a softcore porn with chainsaws which might eventually become my act who knows <laughs> like and it's like whoa Derek is really taking a turn um but we were like talking about that and we were talking about i had a boyfriend at the time my first boyfriend which i was all like oh i'm going to college i don't know if we can be together i mean obviously not i'm dating pussy willow now so it's like i'm not it doesn't matter um but like i was all devastated that we were gonna have to separate and um, we were talking about that and then i had also made out with this boy drunkenly at a party 
like that night before or something before we went to my dad's and I was talking to her about that well I guess the next day we were watching the family stone with Diane Keaton and my dad was coming in and out of the room watching it and he would start crying randomly and I thought he was had cancer because Diane Keaton's character dies of cancer oh spoiler dies of cancer and um he was like, after this movie, I want to talk to each one of you one by one. And so he took my sister upstairs first and was talking to her. And I'm like sitting downstairs, like, I don't know what's going on, but my dad's really upset. So I'm thinking, oh, he has cancer. He's like, I don't know. So my sister comes down. She's crying. My dad's crying. He's like, can I talk to you, son? And so I go upstairs and like brace myself to think that he's about to tell me that he has cancer. And then all of a sudden his mood changed and he says, let me ask you a question, son. Do you think it's appropriate to talk about pornography with your sister? And I said, what? And he was like, well, Melissa was sitting downstairs listening to you and your sister talking last night, and she had some interesting things that she told me about. And I was like, okay, so what are you talking about? I was like, pornography, because like, we were talking about horror movies in my mind, um, but I had made like the comment about, I guess, they were always naked in it or something. Um, he was like, do you think it's appropriate to talk to your sister about pornography? And I'm like, we weren't talking about pornography. We were talking about a horror movie that we had both seen not together with separate groups of friends. Like, if you want to talk to anybody about her choices, talk to mom. And um, he was like, okay, well, do you think it's appropriate to talk to your sister about that? Uh, do you... No, let me ask you another question, son. Because he was all pissed off. And he was like, do you think that you have to get drunk to make out with boys? And I was like, excuse me? And he's like, well, Melissa said that you were at a party and you were drinking that you... That she said it You sounds like you kissed a boy. And I said... Well, I don't have to get drunk when I fuck them, so I guess not. And then I got pissed, and I was like, you can take me home. And I stormed out, but the thing with that house is my dad was, like, remodeling the house. He still hasn't finished it. It's honestly been, like, ten years, and I think he's just finishing it now. He's like, we've, we're cool now, but at the time I was, like, furious. And there was no door. You had to climb through a window to go to this, like, makeshift staircase that he had built. And so, like, it wasn't very... It wasn't like a grand exit by any means. Cause I like climb over my sister's bed through the window down the stairs. But then he like took us home and I was all pissed off. I didn't talk to him. I was just like fuming. I was talking to my mom about it. I was so upset. And I was working with him that summer. We were, I was a lumberjack sort of. We were like clearing out um, trees from this woman's house. It was all really gross and overgrown. And he picked me up like three days later to clear shit out from there. And I was, in, I was so mad. And he was up in this like 50 foot cherry pick and I was down on the ground because I was supposed to just be like, I don't know what I was doing down there, honestly. I think maybe I was supposed to just be spotting. I'm not sure, but I got so mad I just walked off and I just walked home. And I remember that I stepped in this hole that was a puddle and it went all the way up to my knee and I was just like, this is, of course it's like this. So I got home, I took a shower and my dad was at my house and he was like, I'm really sorry, son. Like, I love you no matter what. Like, I want to talk to you about this, blah, blah, blah. So like, we like talked it out. And then, I don't know, we had some issues for a while. It was that woman, Melissa. She was terrible. I fucking hated her and I still do. And that's that, America. <laughs> Melissa sucks. But that was that coming out story. Hey, this is Heidi Ho, and this is my coming out stories. An extraterrestrial hooker with a heart of ooze, Heidi originally crash-landed in New Mexico. The queen of drag production and a true scene queen, Heidi Ho is an NYC staple working everywhere from pieces in the village, the tourist must-see lips, or even icon in Queens. A witty, wacky, and ever-so-tacky queen who isn't afraid to tell the world how she feels, Heidi's banter keeps you laughing all the way home. 
She may be busy stalking B-list celebrities or helping out the local sloth rehabilitation center, but Heidi's always hustling. Seasonally, she hosts the drag competition Iconic at Icon and Astoria, and weekly she runs a non-stop drag show marathon every Saturday for three to four hours of pieces while still working multiple nights at Lips, where she serves Broadway, celebrity impersonation, and drinks behind the bar. Having recently finished the second run of her original cabaret, First Ho, where she embodies all your favorite first ladies in a one-hour lipstick extravaganza and being responsible for last fall's cult sensation Scream Queens, Heidi is a queen who is sure to serve you a show you've never seen before. So I came out in installments to my parents. I came out to my mother first when I was 19 and then my father seven years later. So I... Like, coincidentally enough, I came out to them both in the same spot just years later. When I was home for a holiday, I was just sitting and watching television with my mom, as uh, the puckets tend to do, because they don't have a lot of conversations. They just like to watch television and fill it out in the background. And I was trying to get the courage up, get the courage up, get the courage up, and I had waited. I was driving my car back from New Mexico to New York, the next day I was starting my journey and I was, you know, waited to the last obvious moment. And uh, finally, in sometime past midnight, in the middle of a nothing commercial break, I just got up the courage to uh, tell my mother that I needed to tell her something. And I just said that I'm gay. And she said, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, no. Uh, no, I'm trying to tell you something really serious. And then she took a very long pause and she said... Well, don't tell your father. And then uh, waited a little bit and then had a little back and forth about how she thought maybe this might be the case because I was a, an artistic type and I wanted to pursue acting and she knew that a lot of people in my career were that way. She never brought up any Jesus-y things, which I really appreciate her for, but my mother has a, uh, a kind of a tradition in our family to react poorly to things initially. When my brother told her he was going to propose to his wife, she said, well, now you have to get your own insurance. So I'm, a, you know, not in a solo chair there. Uh, later, when I was back, probably a year later, she had a moment alone with me when we were driving and she said, uh, I'm really sorry for the way that I reacted initially when you told me that news. I wasn't prepared for it, but I love you so much and I just want you to know that. And she said if I ever did have somebody that they would be welcome to be brought home. So very encouraging, even though it took her about a year. The initial story was not as great. Um, not so much so when I came out to my father later. Uh, I had been in the relationship I'm currently in. I'm engaged and I had been with uh, Scott for, I don't know, like three, almost four years at that point, I think. And I was pretty sure that things were going to go where they were going to go. And we were back in that living room and it was just me and my father and we were watching a bunch of television and it was deja vu all over again, just with a different parent. And I had a lot of conversations with him that day. I talked to him about a friend of mine whose um, mother was Asian and she had married a black man and had children with him and her parents didn't talk to her and they disowned her and they didn't even see those children until... Um, her husband had died and the children were like nine it's crazy and my father was married before he was with my mother and um, he, he had a distance relationship like a distance from his father because of that there was a falling out 
and uh, we talked about how hard that was on him to not have a relationship with his father for that time and what it meant and it was like probably the best conversations that I was having with my father but I was planting seeds slowly because I knew what I was going to do and then finally I came out to say what I wanted to say and then he uh, started crying and saying that he was a horrible father because he had raised failures as sons a criminal and a non-baptized kid and now well, me the gay one and um, he kept quoting scriptures and I was like I can go toe to toe with you with scripture all day because I studied that and I was passionate about it and you know that I know about it so don't even try because you know quote 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 back and forth he did not like that very well which made him cry some more and um, coincidentally it was the biggest snowstorm that my southeastern town in New Mexico had seen um, almost in definitely in my entire life possibly in my father's entire life and he ran away from me he ran out and I'm like I'm I want to have a real conversations with you I'm tired of of what's the weather like and uh, how was a catering job and what about this football game I want I want you to know about my life and who I am and he ran out into the snowstorm and tried to drive away and got stuck and he slept out there all night and then he did not talk to me um at all Afterwards, the day after, and my flights home were canceled because of the snowstorm, so I had to spend two extra days in silence in my childhood home when my parents wouldn't talk to me, and I had to tell my mom because he didn't tell her what had happened. And they drove me, you know, three hours to a town in Texas to a flight two days later, and he didn't even get in the airport to uh, walk me to my gate. He just dropped me and my mom off and went and parked the car and sat in the car. He likes to spend time in the car, I guess. Uh, and, I don't know, he he came around a little bit afterwards because his brother lost his wife and I went home for the funeral and he hugged me and he told me that he loved me. So there was progress, but um, I haven't spoken to him in like three years, so, you know. <laughs> progress is progress. Uh, it's not always easy, is it? My name is Lindsay Kay, and this is how I came out. Lindsay Kay works behind the scenes in New York City nightlife, helping drag queens in any capacity they need. From assistant to manager to producer and everything in between, she does whatever it takes to support the personal and professional goals of the queens in her life. When I first started coming out, there was an incredibly prevalent attitude about bisexuality being the waiting room for homosexuality. And all of my queer friends continued to reinforce that with me. So I came out backwards. I came out as gay first, thinking that my attraction to women would ultimately get rid of my attraction to men. Having been told that bisexuality is just a waiting room and being a chronically ill person, I didn't want to spend any more time in waiting rooms, so I thought I could just skip that part. I told my mom when we were on a trip together after I had gotten out of an abusive relationship. And she told me that I didn't have to make any decisions about my sexuality, that I was really only attracted to women because I had been traumatized by men and didn't feel safe. So with my friends believing that I was gay and my mom believing that I was straight but traumatized, 
I started just hiding any relationships I had. And as someone with a history of unhealthy relationships, this just led to more unhealthy relationships. It wasn't until my cousin came out as gay and I tried to talk to her about what coming out to the family was like and how I could try to do it again, I really realized the necessity of continuing to come out as bisexual. My cousin made a point of telling me that bisexuality didn't really count, so coming out was unnecessary. And that's when I decided that coming out was incredibly necessary, that reminding people that bisexuality is valid, it doesn't change, it's not a phase, I'm still bisexual now, I have been bisexual for years, and I often come out again to my family, to my parents, just to remind them that this phase they thought I was in, I'm still in it. The one overwhelmingly positive reaction I had to coming out was recently. I, I never formally came out to my dad, I just sort of expected that either my mother told him, or he knew, or he didn't want to know. So it just wasn't discussed. After making an offhanded comment in a conversation with both my parents about the fact that I am still bisexual, and realizing that I had never said those words to my dad before, I panicked, but in our next conversation, my dad, in sort of typical dad joke fashion, was telling me about a door he had to replace in his home and that the new door swings both ways, just like me. Hi, I'm Kiki Ball Change, and this is my coming out story. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Kiki Ball Change. When she's not baking or watching Jasmine Masters videos, the self-professed crimson chin of New York City is making people laugh at her one-woman show, Kiki with Kiki. So I grew up in a very conservative part of Florida, um, which I guess I didn't realize at the time, but I still kind of knew at the time like it wasn't really like, widely kind of accepted to be gay, especially, like, at that time, I feel like things hadn't really taken off yet with, like, gay rights and gay marriage. So I still had a very big, like, stigma with coming out, and my parents, like, grew up in the AIDS crisis, and so they were both, you know, scared. But, so I, I think everyone else knew I was gay before I knew I was gay, um, I very, very much tried to, like, not, not not be gay, but I just didn't think I, I, I never thought I was until I was, like, 12 or 13, and then I kind of was like, maybe I'm bi, I had feelings for this guy I really liked in middle school, and so I knew I really liked him, and I said, okay, well, I do like him, but I also kind of like, like, girls still too, so maybe I'm bi, but still really didn't know kind of what to do about that. Um, but I think all the signs were there, like, my whole life, like, I would be Princess Peach in Mario Kart, I would, like, pretend to be, like, a woman in, like, any, like, um, like, role-playing thing that, like, me and my siblings would do, where we'd, like, fight or whatever with, like, lightsabers, I'd be, like, 
a Jedi, like, princess. Like, that was always what I would do. So it was very clear from the get-go that I was gay, but I had no idea. And then around, like, ninth grade, I think the beginning of ninth grade, I had already kind of realized I was, like, not bi, I was not straight, I was gay. And, but I was still terrified because I also grew up in a very Jewish household and I wasn't sure really how the Jewish faith, like, handled homosexuality. And again, like, I grew up in, like, the Bible Belt, so I really, like, the Redneck Riviera, so I really didn't, like, have any sort of, like, role model or uh, example of, like, what coming out would be like. Um, And... I did know a couple gay people, but they were much, much older. They were, like, my parents' age. I didn't know anyone my age that was gay. Um, so it was kind of isolating and really, really scary. And then so finally I told my friend, um, my best friend in high school. Um, oh, no, I think actually the first person I told was a ran like, someone I knew, a friend of mine, but, like, not anyone, like, close to me or anything. It was just, like, I think I'd just gotten tired of, hiding it because it had been years like I I started having feelings I think in 2007 and I didn't tell anyone until I think 2009 so it had been like two years of just like hiding it and holding it in and so um so I told I think it was on MySpace and this guy that uh I was in a show choir with again all the signs were there um messaged me and, and he was gay and he just wanted to know if I was too and finally I was just like yeah I am and then I started slowly telling my friends I told my best friend in high school first and then I started coming out to my friends in high school and then a few months later I told my younger brother which was like shocking because he was not good at keeping secrets and he would like always hold it like over my head that he would tell like my parents if I didn't like do something for him or like help him out with something so that was a little not fun but um so told my younger brother and then I think it was that summer it was 2009 it must have been that summer too it was at the end of the summer and by that time like almost everyone in like my high school that I was friends with knew <clears throat> and one of those people told my older brother um who then told my mom and my mom had been asking me for years if I was gay and every time she asked me I always said no because I just wasn't ready and I still wasn't ready, but, uh, you know, there was this um, now opportunity to talk to her about it. And um, it didn't really go that well. She wasn't, she wasn't, she was, she was mad that I didn't tell her first. And she, not mad, well, I guess she was mad. She was disappointed. She was upset. She was sad. And the whole conversation just felt very much like I was to blame for, like, how I came out. And why didn't I trust her to 
come out. Like, she she said, like, she'd been asking me and asking me, and I never said yes, but I was telling all my friends, like, behind her back. And so I understand, like, that in some ways, like, she felt like I kind of broke her trust. But, you know, I all I heard was, like, I think around that time, Prayers for Bobby, the Lifetime movie came out, where Sigourney Weaver, like, disowned her son and he jumped off a bridge. So, like, that was the only... And, like, Glee had just started. So, like, there were not a lot of, like, positive gay, like, role models or influences in my life. And so I thought if I came out to my parents, they would disown me. Which now, like, in retrospect is so dumb because my parents are some of, like, the best people in the world. But... So, she was very upset. I cried a lot. She cried a lot. And she uh she didn't want me to tell my younger sister she thought my sister was too young to know which now like not even it's like 10 years later it's so funny to think about that but because like marty is literally doing baby shark for kids now but it was a different time and i grew up in a way different place and so she didn't want me to tell my sister she asked if any of my siblings knew i told her i told my brother and then my older brother of course knew um And she said, well, I'm going to have to tell your dad. And I, like, begged her. I don't know why, again, I was like, well, if my mom doesn't disown me, my dad sure will. Like, I thought it was, I don't know. So I didn't want to tell my dad. I don't know. I still don't know. I haven't really ever asked if my mom ever did tell my dad. She probably did because it's my mom. But I waited, I think, like, two more years to, like, tell my dad formally Um, and by that time, again, it was pretty obvious. It had been obvious, and I'm sure my mom had already talked to him years before. But I made this whole big thing. I was on my Tumblr, and I said, okay, this is it. I'm going to tell my dad. And I logged off Tumblr. I walked into my dad's room, and I said, because this was, like, it. This was, like, the one time I could choose how to come out to my family. So I wanted to make it, like, absolutely perfect how I wanted to make it. So I said, Dad, I have something to tell you. And he turned off the TV. And I sat down and I said, you know, before I say anything, I just want to say, like, typical cliche. I was like, I'm still your son. Like, I want you to still love me. <laughs> but I'm gay. And he said, I know. And that was that. And then I was walking out and he said, I thought you had something important to tell me. And that was coming out to my dad at the time I was very very scared and unsure and my mom was very worried about being bullied or being hurt and again going back to like the AIDS crisis that like my parents were like in their 20s for um my mom and dad were both very scared because there was still a lot of stigma around HIV and AIDS um that they were worried I was going to catch something, and they didn't want me to, um, they didn't, they just wanted me to live a good life, and I think at the time, there was not any, as much exposure to gay life, to people living with HIV, there wasn't Truvada at the time, like, none of that was available, so I think at the time, it was just, it's 10 years ago, but it still feels like it was just a completely different time to come out compared to now that 
I think my family just wanted the best for me and wanted me to be happy. They were just worried that my life was going to be a lot harder being gay. But 10 years later, they've come to my drag show. They're some of my biggest supporters. My name is Patsy in Decline, and this is my coming out story. Patsy in Decline is a southern belle who's making it big in the Big Apple. You can catch her moving grooving throughout the city. So my coming out story is like pretty weird. Um, I'm originally from South Carolina, grew up um, in a southern Baptist home. So it was like church all the time, uh, youth groups sleepaway camps, all that stuff. Um, I have an older brother and an older sister, and my brother is also gay. So when he came out, he came out when he was 15, I think I was 12. Um, He was sitting at the dinner table, and he just said, I think I'm gay. And the family was shocked, and they just kind of stared, and they were quiet. And then my mom turned and looked at me and was like, well, shit, I thought you were going to be the gay one. <laughs> so I told myself I can never come out. I can't come out because that's their last hope of having grandchildren or whatever. So from that moment on, I told myself, okay, you'll never be gay. Fine. Throughout high school, I dated girls. Um, one in particular uh, was a girl named Stephanie, and she was, we're still really good friends. But the funny thing with that is the whole time I was dating her... I was sleeping with my best friend's boyfriend, who was also a girl. Her name was Alicia. The boyfriend's name is Logan. So for two years, I dated Stephanie. I was also dating Logan on the side. We'd meet up like in parking lots and like hook up and wherever we could really. The woods, on a pier, wherever we could find. Um, and then, so, uh, I broke up with her um, and now they're together. So that's kind of weird. Uh, they've just bought a house together. Um, so that little love triangle is complete. Um, but coming out (laughs) was kind of crazy. Um, after I broke up with Logan, for all the reasons you can imagine of feeling left out and he didn't want to be visible and just feeling used, um, we broke up and then I started seeing this guy named Ricky. And Ricky was this, like, cool, smooth-talking guy that was a little younger than me, but he just seemed really worldly. Um, So we would, like, go out to the beach, uh, sleep on the beach, anywhere we could just to be together. And one night, um, I brought him back to my parents' house with me at, like, four in the morning when everyone was asleep. And we were just sleeping and cuddling. And then for no reason, my mom opens up my bedroom door and sees him in the bed and we're cuddling. So she slams the door and I wake up and I'm like, fuck. And the porch where she smokes her cigarettes is directly attached to my room. So she, after she slammed the door, she walked around and started tapping on the window for me to wake up and go. So I go out and she's sitting there smoking her cigarette and drinking her coffee and then she tells me she said sit down son so I do and I'm facing her she's like are you gay I was like yeah 
She's like, well, what? You're gay? I like, yeah, I think so. And she's like, get out. So I left. I put everything I had in my car at the time, and me and Ricky went to the beach because I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, so for that night and the following night, I slept on the beach, not hearing anything from my parents, just going from friend's house to friend's house until it got too late, and then I slept on the beach. And then finally, my dad called me, and he said, come home. I was like, okay. So then I came home, and they were both sitting on the porch, and they sat me down, and he asked me, are you gay? I was like, yes. He's like, are you sure? I said, for certain. He said, okay, then I guess you're gay. And then that's basically it. I then went to college um, that after that summer, where I met my husband, Ducky, that first semester of freshman year and my parents love him more than they like me I think they are obsessed with him they only talk about him they only really they don't have any issues anymore and they finally got comfortable calling Caleb my husband my mom calls him my spouse but my dad quit introducing him as my friend or roommate so there's like a full circle moment they're they're pretty pleased so I am too Hi, my name is Emmy Great, and this is my coming out story. Born and raised in Mandalay, Burma, Emmy Great is the current former reigning Ms. Brooklyn and has been featured in Bushwick, Nightgowns, Brooklyn Pride, and the Brooklyn Ball. They are the producer of monthly Pan Asian Drag Review A, and monthly talk drag show Last Month Tonight, and co producer of Get Your Panties in a Brunch. Emmy also happens to be an LGBT asylum seeker in the U.S. I think coming out has many steps to it by that I mean like you have to come out to yourself and then to like a few close friends and then to your family and to your workspace and to the rest of the world and in a sense like it's a never-ending process um with that I would like to trace back to my earliest memory of being queer so I am Burmese I grew up in Mandalay Burma And in my native language, we don't have gendered third-person pronouns. But the first-person pronouns are gendered. And the women in my town use first-person masculine pronouns, which is a very odd cultural thing. And my very first memory of some gender nonconformity within myself was when I was about four or five. I was sitting on the front steps with my mom and this newspaper lady came to deliver and the newspapers came in the afternoon. And I said thank you to the lady using first-person feminine pronouns. And my mom said, those are not the right words. And the lady just smiled at me and rode away on her bike. And I had crushes on girls throughout school. And I remember actually really liking them in a romantic sense. Um, 
and there was also one I actually took sexual interest. But also at the same time, like I was fascinated with some of my male friends, and some of them actually knew that I was some sort of queer, and they asked me like, "Hey, are you interested in guys like this?" And I was like, "Yeah." And for like looking back, how homophobic and transphobic the whole entire society seems to be, my friends didn't seem to care. And we just hang out, and I didn't like fully question my sexuality and my gender until after I finished high school and I was away from home on my own, preparing for college in the U.S. And I was starting to get introduced to different kinds of literature. I wasn't just like reading what my teachers were giving me or what my parents were telling me to read. And I got to read some stuff on Wikipedia, and I was like, "Huh, am I bisexual?" And I ended up saying to myself, "Yeah, I guess I am." And then later, I after I came to college in the U.S., I came in twenty eleven. I had a crutch. I had a very big crush on this boy on campus. He was he was really pretty. Um, he was this Latin boy from New Mexico, and I ended up talking about it with my sister. And I fully expected her to take the story back to my parents. Uh, she was two years younger than me. She wasn't in the U.S. yet back then. And my parents were like, "Hey, what is this? What's happening?" Um, that kind of created a rift between communication with me and my parents when I was away from home. I was homesick, and I was also going through culture shock, and that I would consider my like big coming out story because it has like larger real life consequences. I also came out to people on campus, but they didn't seem to really care. Um, and I was also trying to find resources on campus to talk to my parents about queerness, but because. All the resources were in English, but there were some limited resources in Spanish. But that's not a language that's helpful to me or my parents. It didn't necessarily work out. And a couple of semesters later, I was like starting to explore gender expressions、um, beyond the traditional male that I was assigned. It started out with a friend and me.、Uh, Procrastinating instead of doing homework on campus, and she's like, "Let me paint your nails." And she painted my nails, and something clicked. I was like, "I like this. I like this very much. I feel very comfortable with this. I feel beautiful. I like this." And I would paint my. I started collecting、uh, nail polish, and I started experimenting with nail art. And then I started doing red lipstick and little eyeliner on. When I go out on campus, and I start wearing little two, three inch heels, and everybody's like, "You look great." It's like, "Yeah, I feel great," and that was mostly the affirmation I needed. And because I was doing those little like gender nonconformity experimentations, one of my professors later offered me a cross gender role in a play, and. Then I got to play like a female character, and some semesters later, I was offered to do a monologue and a song as my own drag character, 
and that's when I started like fully exploring hyper femininity, which I wasn't completely comfortable with on a day to day basis. I actually never fell in love with makeup, but I liked the idea of wearing makeup for a purpose, like stage makeup. I'm going to be on stage. I'm going to be doing something. People are going to see me, and this is part of the show, and it's part of that. Um, and I guess I like dressing up sometimes, but also I very much enjoy being naked so much more. Um, and at this point, I identify as gender nonconformity, gender fluid, trans person, um, who is pansexual. So like I've taken time to revisit my crushes on girls when I was growing up and it's like, yeah, I'm also attracted to girls, but not by a whole lot. And it changed as I grew up and I'm okay with this. And whoever I'm attracted to is whoever I'm attracted to. And if things work out between me and a partner, then things work out. Um, like romantically, physically, or emotionally, there are different things to consider. So like that's how I consider my gender and sexuality right now. I don't have preferred gender pronouns, but that mainly comes from my native language not having preferred third person pronouns. And everybody in my hometown using like masculine first person <clears throat> so like when i speak in my own native language i would still use like masculine first person but i don't necessarily consider myself male i don't necessarily consider myself female when i'm working in drag i would think of myself as a woman of sorts but like my own kind of woman and when I, like, dress up to look male, I don't necessarily always consider myself male either. It's like my own kind of man. And I enjoyed that. <clears throat> um, I have never really experienced gender dysphoria. Um, but I still identify as trans because even though I don't find discomfort, I don't experience dysphoria in my assigned gender. I find euphoria in the fluidity of my own gender. Like, I can express however I want and I can be comfortable with it. And it may change from day to day, from occasion to occasion. But I sometimes take issue with um, gendered language that gets thrown at me. I don't always mind like Mr. or Miss or Sir or Ma'am, but because those are supposed to be pleasantries in conversation and they show some kind of respect from time to time. But in casual conversation, if you throw like dude and man, because those are like, those have like a more stricter tone of reinforcing a certain gender rather than uh, giving respect to somebody's personhood, which sir and ma'am tend to do, I'm not comfortable with it. And 
I'm also not usually not comfortable with uniforms that are gender coded. Um, but if it if it's a gig that pays money, I will put up with it. And that's it. Those are your coming out stories. Oh wait. I guess it's only fair to share my tale. I'm Michael Block, and this is my coming out story. I'll admit that I blew this part of the episode off until the very end because I wasn't sure I was ready to share it. It's not a story many people really know from me. Uh, people assume a lot of things about me. There, there are people, a lot of people, that assume that I've been this out and proud gay man who has done it all and has lots of sex, and that's... It's not accurate. Um, I spent a long time living a double life in a sense. I'm not sure I could say that I've always been gay or that I've always known. Um, I grew up in New Jersey with a pretty perfect life. My parents are the most loving and giving people. They truly made me who I am. If you know me, you know how much I love to give. Whether it's gifts, running an important errand, buying someone a drink, or whatever it may be, I learned that from my parents. But growing up in my house, just me and my brother, it was inherently a bro house. The block house was all about sports. It was very, very macho. And I grew up playing sports and being surrounded by sports because my brother was a star athlete, and that was my life too. I played hockey and I swam competitively, and when my interest started to veer towards theater, nothing really changed inside of me. I was in drama club, and won't you believe it, I had girls fighting over me. Not a lie. Um, I had an amazing girlfriend in high school. Uh, We dated my senior year, broke up before I went to college, got back together the next summer. So I was this heterosexual guy with a girlfriend studying theater in the mid-2000s. That's the person people saw because it was the person I was. But um, the summer of 2007, I had my first theater internship in New York City, and that's when things started to change. I met a boy, and boy, did I feel something inside. He was beautiful. I was attracted to him, but I think it was mostly the idea of him. But he, too, was figuring life out. You can call him a twink. It was unrequited. Twelve years later, nothing in my life has changed. Anyway, that summer, I started to ponder, what if I wasn't actually straight and that I was bisexual? I didn't tell anyone. That was until I was on a shit ton of oxycodone when I got my wisdom teeth out and I accidentally came out to a friend from home over AIM. That just dated me. But I knew this would start to spread, but I wasn't ready to tell the important people. My family. I went back to college and decided, fuck it, I'm telling people at school. A lot of people did the age-old duh and others were actually surprised, but it was all pretty accepting. It was around this time that I had a family member find out that their partner had been with another man, and seeing the family reaction to the situation was a bit scary. I will admit, my younger age likely misinterpreted a lot. Um, There was probably a lot of information that I wasn't privy to, but I was scared to tell anyone that I might be bi because I didn't want that reaction. I finally told my mom that Thanksgiving. 
I remember it distinctly. We were in the car getting gas on Route 17 in Mawa, New Jersey. I knew this was my moment because there was no escape because you couldn't leave the car. When I told her, she was... She was confused. Confused because I said I was bi. And the reaction was not as warm as I guess I wanted it to be. And my mom, who truly is an incredible, loving, and supportive person, she scared me back into the closet. I started to really live this double life where at school I was out, but at home I wasn't. My mom didn't tell my dad, I don't think, but I knew she was talking to other family members. We tried discussing it many times, but when you hear, just pick one, how can you want to talk about it anymore? So my fear and paranoia of perception of my family and how this might hurt them made me pretend who I was to them. Um, My brother was in high school at the time, and there was a gay kid in his class who had a crush on him. My macho brother let the kid live his life and have a crush, but I knew his friends were making fun of it. And that was another nail in the I'm not coming out to you coffin. I didn't want to hurt my brother. I didn't want people to say things to him. So it was more reason to stay silent. As time went on and more people in my friend and school circle knew, I slowly realized my attraction to women was also slowly disappearing. It was all guys all the time. But I didn't really date. I mean, who would want to date someone who wasn't completely open and out, right? After college, I lived at home, so I didn't get to try that, like, dating kind of thing unless it was secretive. Um, There were a couple trips to places that I didn't go home because of, but, again, we didn't talk about it. It was also around this time that I was writing plays, and as they say, write what you know, so I did. My first play was inspired by this experience. When I was fortunate enough to have a reading of it, it was eye-opening in the sense that I'm telling strangers, but why am I still afraid to say anything to my family? So I gave myself a promise. I said I would tell them when I had a someone. I was giving myself an excuse, but also wanted a potential support system should things go badly. Well, that never happened. Cut to fall of 2016. I was extremely depressed. Um, By the force of my dear friend, I started to go to therapy and had someone to talk it all out with. I didn't want to be this wall of negativity anymore, and I knew a lot of that was stemming from my secret. It was time that I needed to say something. It was Thanksgiving, and I was ready. But I couldn't do it alone. I told my best friend I needed him to come home with me. I said he could sit in the kitchen while I did it. I just needed someone there. So the Saturday after Thanksgiving, I tell my family I have something to say. And for the first time, I tell my parents and my brother that I was gay. And it went fine! They asked a lot of questions, mostly just why I didn't feel comfortable telling them. My mom knew. My dad had an idea. But it was my brother... Him saying he knew was the shocker. So, how did he know? Well, apparently he found out by looking at my phone while I was on Grindr for the backseat during a road trip. So my nine years of living a double life was finally over. And I felt free and happy. 
My mom is now a big drag fan and comes to many of my events and meets so many of my friends. I think my biggest regret is that I didn't get to experience my 20s properly because I was afraid to be me. I like to think that I'm getting a second chance at me now. Sure, the love department still very empty, but I'm now truly experiencing freedom for the very, very first time. I hope this podcast reaches those who need it, those who may be struggling. Just know you're not alone. And if you need some advice, my friends have some for you. Take your time, go to people you trust, learn about your community, and be patient with yourself. I think you need to be comfortable with yourself first and accept yourself before you ask that of anyone else. So... Take your time, get to know yourself, accept yourself, celebrate yourself, and then you can tell other people, this is who I am, and you can add a clause that is, take it or leave it. Wait until you think you're ready. As long as it's up to you, because sometimes it's not always up to us, and that is unfortunate, but when it is, wait until you're ready, because... um, if you're forced to do it and there are a lot of negative repercussions because we're always very afraid to do it and we might not ever be ready, but you have to still do it. Wait until you're as ready as you think you can be and then take the leap because if you don't do it, you never know um, how your authentic self is truly going to shine. You can't live a lie. So if you are coming out today in 2019, 2020 in the future, I think that it's important just to do it and rip the bandaid off because ultimately you don't want people in your life that don't understand you or that are suppressive as Scientologists would say that bring you down and make you feel less than because what you really need to do is find people that understand you and that are going to support you and build you up I really believe in found families I have a found family in New York because all my family is in the Midwest so I have my sisters and I see them and I can talk to them about anything and they can talk to me about anything and so finding your community even if it's not the people that are your blood because I think Ultimately, it's about people that elevate you and make you stronger. Find your tribe. Um, It can be members of your family. It can be friends. It can be um, everyone on the spectrum. But I feel like sometimes being part of the community can be a little isolating for many different reasons. So I think finding people that you connect with um, that will support you. Um, there's a really good quote from the Tony Awards because it's been on my mind lately, but, um, Andre DeShield said, one of the most important things in life is to surround yourself with people whose eyes light up when they see you. It's not easy. It's going to be difficult and it's going to maybe be a little painful, but that doesn't last. And that's not forever. You have to get through all the tough parts of it to get to all the great parts of it. And if there's anyone in your life who doesn't accept who you are, then you know now those are the people who are just going to keep you from being who you are. Don't let yourself be forced out because that puts a lot of feelings and 
the feeling of being unwanted, the feeling of getting exposed. So I would say come to grips and come to terms with it and then allow yourself the space to do it. Try it first with a close network of people and then however you see fit, just come out. Know that there are resources. So if you were looking into something or you're researching something, like there probably is someone who it has happened to or... You know, maybe you think it's a brand new experience and it hasn't hasn't ever happened to someone. There is someone who can help you through it. There are great organizations and centers. And just know that you're not alone. It does get better. And hopefully you'll be able to pass that along to the next generation too. Be proud of who you are. You are enough. I want to thank my incredible guests for sharing their stories. Aria Dirce, Emmy Great, Harry Lagrande. Heidi Ho, Kiki Ball Change, Lindsay Kay, Patsy and Decline, and Pussy Willow. Please follow them on social media, and if something they said touched you, reach out to them and tell them. Thank you for listening, and happy Pride.